0: bird's eye view when it comes to the orioles this week the podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and baseless opinion today is march 14th 2016 and this is episode 155 i'm scott magnus and i'm here with my big boy my color commentator my you only gonna be here for another 40 games is that the case that's it okay jake english you can find us at dot you can also check us out at baltimore sports com. You can also check us over at baseballtalkradio.com, where there's a plethora of other baseball podcasts. Check us out on third-party platforms such as Stitcher, Miro, Double Twist, and iTunes. Please rate and review the show if you get a chance. It helps to grow the audience base to have people listen to this terrible, terrible product that you subjugate yourself with on a weekly basis. Check us out on social media at facebook.book.com slash bvcast. And most importantly, on Twitter. At Bird's Eye View, B-A-L. With that, um, oh, one more thing, actually, I want to remind people of um, April 3rd, day before uh, uh, opening day, Bird's Eye View is going to be getting together with a bunch of other Baltimore-based podcasts for Birdland Radio. Yes, Birdland Radio will be doing a 12-hour marathon of all things Birdland leading up to opening day. It should be... Uh, quite entertaining to see a bunch of podcast hosts come up with all different topics. uh on a team that really can only have one storyline. Lots of strikeouts. And That's we- just twelve hours of the same storyline. Yeah. That sounds exciting. That sounds exciting. It's like Serial season two, basically. <laughs> with that, let's go to the most important time.
1: It's the drink of the week. Jake, what are you doing this week? I'm a little embarrassed, Scott, because you do such a good job of drinking just phenomenal beers. You you have so many great recommendations. You you really every week it seems like you want up me. Um, and this week i I just went to an old favorite i'm I'm drinking uh, a beer w- w- in a can that's winking at me it's an natty bow I hope you're not gonna be able
0: to get the stadium anymore so uh, you might as well drink it here Jake I decided to class it up a little bit I decided to go with a national bohemian beer I've heard uh, that's good out of a bottle um so it comes with a cap and what's really nice about this is if you pop the bottle cap off there is a puzzler underneath the bottle cap mine is puzzle number 80. One and it's no place to go but up. Puzzle number eighty one.
1: With that. I don't think that holds up well in the audio format. No, not at all. If you are drinking your drink of the week, please let us know what it is. We are untapped, the both of us. I am at Jake E4025. Uh thank you to everybody who's uh connected with us on uh Untapped.
0: Uh you can find me at M-A-G-N-8606. And with that and with that, I think it's time we get a synopsis of everything wrong medically. It's time for the medical wing. Time for your checkup.
1: Time for your checkup. I'm going to check your ears, check your eyes, find out how much you've grown.
0: You always break up when we get to that part. <laughs>
1: this is like my favorite part of the show. <laughs> Which is really sad. It really is. Really right. pathetic. Let's play Dr. Scott because it's all about throwing bows. It's okay, they tickle a little. All right, enough of that. Okay. Let's talk about some elbows. Uh, first and foremost, we can't avoid it any longer. Actually, you know what? Let's hold that thought. Let's go to TJ McFarland. Also, an elbow. Yeah, uh, he threw a bullpen and said his elbow was fine. He was supposed to be reassessed today. I don't think that's going to be a dramatic situation. I think uh, TJ McFarlane's going to come back fine, and uh, you know he's probably not going to make the club out of the spring, but he'll be an option. To Look, go if TJ McFarlane can come back fine. It's an upgrade, okay. So uh, let's let's hope and pray that that happens. He's going to bounce back. He's like, uh, what is it, rookie of the year? When he slips on the ball and comes up, and suddenly he can pitch hundred miles yeah, an hour. Exactly, and then he throws the Efius pitch to get the uh, MVP out of the, of the league. So, uh, well, but the real elbow story, of course, is Matt Weeters removed in the first inning after an errant throw to second base. The X ray showed nothing. The MRI came back with good feelings and warm thoughts or whatever (laughs) Buck's Yeah. A good smile. He's going to fight through that battle. I think the prescription at this point is rest and waiting and hope. Did you say no MRI was scheduled, by the way? No, no, it it happened. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It it happened, but but they didn't really talk about what came out. I mean, Buck's comments about it were like, well, we had the MRI and, you know, I feel good about it. I think something came out tonight saying that the MRI came back and everything looked okay. All right. All right. But
0: it was very touch and go is the best way to say. But, you
1: know... The thing about Matt Weeders being hurt is that, uh, well, it made a lot of people panic. Well, well, let's go back to history too, and
0: you know when Matt Weiders went out with the Tommy John surgery, they basically took him in for the MRI. and They're just like, yeah, he'll be fine. He's just going to rehab it. We're going to inject him with some uh, with a shot, and you know he'll be back to good in in a few weeks. Well, that turned out to be six plus weeks, and then they were like, you know what? It's Tommy John surgery. So just because the MRI came back as okay doesn't mean that we're out of the deep end, folks. It's still time to panic. It is time to panic. All right. Do you want to go panic uh, in 140 characters or less? Absolutely. Let's go to this week on the Twitters. First up on this week on the Twitters comes from Mark Viviano. You can follow him at MarkWJZ. Duquette says, at Orioles, base goal is 90 wins and we're not there yet. Says, still looking to improve roster after Alvarez' rigorous physical exam. This is dated March 8th, 2016. Jake,
1: what could the Orioles exactly do to improve their roster further? Oh, I don't know. I mean, they could find someone to pitch. Yeah, but you have to trade people for that. So, yeah, okay. Uh, Next, we're going to go to a tweet from Rockabaco. tweets at Masson Rock. Pedro Alvarez on 105.7 The Fan said he thought the O's were joking at first when so many attended his presser, was really moved by the gesture. It's turning into club culture at this point. I think that's kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, Next
0: comes up. Oh, I cannot believe you put this in here. This next tweet comes from Nationals on Masson. If you want to kill yourself, you may want to put at Masson Nationals on your Twitter follows. Which national will be featured on the September 9th
1: bobblehead? You decide. Vote. Jake, why the heck is this in this week on the Twitters? Because there was a a smear campaign that happened this past week. Orioles fans were encouraging other Orioles fans to vote for Jonathan Papelbon to be the fan choice bobblehead. It was a pap smear campaign, and frankly, I was a big fan of it. You just put that in here because
0: to put the Pap smear c- campaign thing, didn't you? Just for
1: the pun, yeah. I really, and it was worth it every moment. I
0: would love to see a Papelbon uh, Bryce Harper chokehold bobblehead.
1: Think about it: that not only would Bryce Harper's head bobble, but also Papelbon's arm attached to it. Yeah.
0: Next tweet comes from the Sunglass Guy, our good friend at O Sunglass Guy. Kim got a hit, and we didn't lose progress. Hashtag Orange Spring. Yeah, you take your small victories. Absolutely course, I also think that was the same game that uh, Weeters went out with uh, his injury. So, mm. yeah, Pyrrhic victory. Uh, next tweet comes from John Mioli. You can follow him at John Mioli. And, hey, we have a new beat writer for the uh, Baltimore Orioles, John Mioli, who's writing for the Baltimore Sun. He also used to cover Sox prospects. Hmm. Okay.
1: Uh, Jason Garcia was optioned to buoy and will be a starter there. You posted something on Twitter today saying you were surprised by this. I'm not sure I'm so surprised. It's interesting, though, because they're turning him back into a starter, at least for the time being. And it'll be interesting to see whether he sticks as a starter. I always assumed um, that he was going to be a, a late-inning reliever and would develop into a back-end bullpen guy. And I, I think – I've always thought, even when he had the dead arm during his uh, Rule 5 season, that he could be a useful arm in the bullpen. I'd be very interested to see if the Orioles can steal a starter uh, uh, in the future, even if he's only a 4 or 5 guy out of the Rule 5 draft. I I think that's a really interesting move for the Orioles.
0: I thought that was always the move that the Orioles were trying to make is to get and try to steal a starter, um, especially one that has the potential to have a 95 or 96 mile per hour fastball. Um, I'm not surprised by this at all. Actually, Dylan Atkinson posted today, you know, if I'm at Atkinson, OU, um, posted, he was surprised, not surprised, but he thought exactly what you thought, which he was going to be a reliever, but I don't understand why you would go out and get a rule five draft pick, um, and basically say, Oh, we're gonna have a relief pitcher. We have plenty of relief pitchers at this time. The Orioles need starters and they need basically to put as many lottery tickets together to see which kind of starter can come out. Jason Garcia is a lottery ticket. Probably not a very good lottery ticket. But he's a lottery ticket nonetheless.
1: Well, and that's the thing. His, his one weapon is the fastball. Yeah. Right? And and it's a really good fastball. Yeah. But I think it's only a really good fastball in short spurts. And oh, that's why I think yeah. that he's he's better tuned to be a late inning guy. And, and, again, just my opinion, but I think that if you're going to have one bullet in the gun— you might as well use it in the in the deep innings, and that's still a valuable arm to have in the back of the pen. I I don't dismiss sure. the the bullpen guys whatsoever, but you know if he can bring that velocity down to the mid nineties, the or even the you know the ninety two to ninety four range, and be an effective starter for five innings, you know to have gotten that out of the rule five, I think that's a coup. I, I think the one thing
0: that I understand what you're saying, and we talked about this on the show, is if you're only going to have one pitch and it's a fastball. You really are going to only have to be a reliever. But I'm going to come back and point out the fact of we've talked about that for pitchers such as Mike Wright and Tyler Wilson. Um, my thing with adding them is they're both 26 years old. You look at Jason Garcia, he's only 23 years old. He's got plenty of years to develop additional pitches at this time. I'm not to say that's going to happen, but why wouldn't you put him down in Bowie and say, go try to develop a few off-speed pitches and turn into a starter? You know I hate it when you're right, but I'm right on this one.
1: I am going to have to correct you on one thing. Okay. He's got two pitches. Okay. He's got the fastball, and he's got the ball behind Bautista's head. Ah. It's a very different pitch. Good point. All right. Finally, we're going to go to a tweet from uh, OBP Apparel, our very dear friends. Uh, Thanks for the logo. Please come back to the podcasting world. They tweet at OBP Apparel, and they tweet as follows. The Phillies are going to love David Lowe. And this was a tweet in reference to a tweet from um, Steve Molesky about David Lowe being in the lineup for the Philadelphia Phillies against the Orioles. Six for 19 so far with the Phillies. Had a great defensive play.
0: Oh, wait. It bounded off his glove today and uh, scored a few runs for the Orioles. Eh, Close, but no cigar. Typical David Lowe. All right. With that, let's get into the meat of the issue that's been plaguing Birdland and this whole injury scenario We'll be right back. So when Matt Waiters was removed in the first inning of a spring training game, Orioles Social media, went into full speculation and panic mode like we're used to. And it's not a completely crazy response, as we were talking about before. Weeders has experienced elbow soreness in the past, and he's had TJ surgery on that arm two seasons ago. Not to mention, a similar description was given to him when he first basically hit the disabled list. And Oh, you'll be fine. Yeah, he'll be fine, you know, just need some rest day to day, no big deal. Rub a little dirt on it. Yeah. Not to mention the Orioles in the past, of course, have been very um, misleading with their injury reports to the public. I know, shocking. Um, But the Orioles signed Matt Wieters again for that one-year $15.8 million qualifying offer. He's a significant
1: part of their everything-must-go-right-in-order-to-contend plan. Yeah, and and that got us wondering, uh, what does the catching core look like behind Matt Wieters? I mean, we know Caleb Joseph is the next man up. Joseph has proven himself to be a capable backup and may even have the chops to be a primary catcher. You know, crazier things have happened. We know, I think at this point, the floor and the ceiling of what we're getting with Caleb Joseph. And even if he doesn't take a a huge step forward in 2016, I think the fans would probably be comfortable with what he brings to the plate. But he can't catch 162 games. No. He's no Cal Ripken. So the question becomes, who's up after him? Steve Clevenger, of course. (laughs) Uh, not quite. Why not? Uh, He's somewhere.
0: Oh, Seattle? Maybe. Yeah, he's with Seattle. We we traded Steve Glovinger to get Mark Trumbo.
1: Ah. Yeah, that guy. The the only other catcher on the 40-man roster is Francisco Pena. And Pena has a total of seven major league games under his belt, all from 2014 and 2015, with the Kansas City Royals. Hey, that team's pretty good. So Scott brilliantly... Reached out to our friends at Pintar Press. Uh, by the way, the Kansas City Royals podcast that you should absolutely check out if you want behind enemy lines look uh, at Kansas City, like when we're facing them for the April series this year. Absolutely. Yep. So Scotty asked about Pena, and uh, what did what did our friend Dan Lesky have to t- or David Lesky has to say to us, sir? So David
0: Lesky pop, put back and said he's a decent player, um, has pop offensively. Um, minor league pitchers like throwing to him. Uh, He said, but something happened, though, because the Royals really liked him for a while and all of a sudden just didn't like him. And he doesn't really have a clue why. And Dave has a lot of insight into the minor league system. Um, It's one of those situations where he lives closer to a lot of the minor, minor league affiliates than he does actually going to the Kansas City games. So he'll go to a few Kansas City Royals games. But overall, in a majority, he goes to a lot more minor league games. So that's why I wanted to contact Dave, because if anybody knows the minor leagues, it's him on this one. And it's really interesting. You know, that's the kind of description of has pop offensively, but mildly pitchers like throwing to him. It sounds very similar to a Caleb Joseph,
1: doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. The thing that's interesting to me is that, uh, you know, I looked at Pena's AAA stats, and uh, I think that the Kansas City team's in the PCL, right? Yes, that is correct. So yeah, you kind of have to take those stats with a grain of salt, uh, because the PCL team t- tends to be a little more offensively juiced than... It's like 15% the- higher in terms of offensive production
0: in, right. in the Pacific Coast League, yeah.
1: Uh, So more, more so than the international league. Um, but you know, looking outside of of David's brief breakdown, um, I looked at it and, uh, you know, he looks okay. You know, especially for a catcher, he does show a little bit of pop. The average is not what you'd love. The weighted runs created plus is less than you'd like, uh, on basis is is okay. Or at least it wasn't in, in a triple a, but it, it got me to thinking, could he be enough? to progress into a Major League caliber catcher who can spell a primary guy like a Caleb Joseph. I thought that Joseph paired very well with a Nick Hundley, right? Not a superstar by any stretch of the imagination, but a dependable Major League starter who wasn't totally helpless at the plate. Could Pena turn into that guy that could pair with Caleb Joseph and form a really good tandem? I'm just not sure that we have that guy, but the the Orioles seem to like him. They like him to the point where they felt comfortable in getting rid of, uh, of uh, Clevenger, as you mentioned, who was our guy.
0: Yeah. And again, you know, I, I think the Orioles last year were a lot more concerned about the catching depth because they weren't sure what Matt Wieters was going to come back and what he was going to do. Mm-hmm. So that's why we were left with Steve Clevenger and also the Ryan LeVarnway experience that we all remember in April as well. And the Orioles quickly got away from that and, you know, designated him for assignment. I don't know what to make of Francisco Pena. Um, I think, to a certain regard, he could be a somewhat serviceable backup catcher, but that's going to be the best-case scenario, is the best way to put it.
1: And there's no other help coming from the roster. No, So if, if they needed to go in another direction, they'd have to make a trade or sign somebody. I mean, looking at the the next guy up to, to come out of the minors— you're looking at, you know, Chance Sisko is going to be back in double-A uh, buoy. Yeah. Um, you know, he had a great season last year, you know, developing as that first year of being a full-time catcher, but he's not ready. And he's not going to be ready until, what, 2018, 2019? If he's going to be a catcher
0: even, because, again, there are folks out there that say he's got the office, offensive potential, but they're really not sure or whether or not he can be a catcher. And, again, he had just recently moved into being a catcher just a few years ago. This is not a, a position that he's played his entire career. Um, you know, him learning the position, learning, you know, the how to basically coach a, a pitcher or when to call a game in the right position is a really difficult transition. It'll be interesting to see if Cisco can ever make that jump.
1: Can I say something totally unfair? Sure. That means next to nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we went... Is that anything you say? <laughs> it's basically. When we went to FanFest this year, there was the, uh, catching forum. Yeah. And, uh, let's see, um... John Russell was there Matt Weeters, Caleb Joseph Chance Sisko was there Alex Murphy yep. was there and I think that may have been the entire Alex time. Murphy who was on the Section 336 podcast Absolutely Howdy boys uh, I think that was the entire panel I was really impressed with how comfortable Alex Murphy was in in front of the fans talking up catching just you know, he presented himself while well. he was in his element, he was comfortable. Sure. Cisco was not. Cisco was Cisco very uncomfortable. Was, <laughs> was very uncomfortable. He was very nervous. He 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 wasn't eloquent when talking about catching. And, you know, I, I'm not going to get on players for not being good public speakers. That That's that's nothing. But I feel like when people who are not extroverts, people who are not good public speakers, start talking about their area of strength, yeah. they get a little more comfortable. And I didn't get that with Chance Cisco. Maybe that means nothing, but... Looking at that brief little uh, look into the psyche, I, I look at a guy like Alex Murphy, who is a catcher, yeah, and a guy like Chance Sisko, who's trying to become a catcher, and, and you can see that difference right off the bat. And not to mention, Caleb Joseph owned that forum completely. So Caleb Joseph is going to be a broadcaster when he retires, because he's got what it takes. He's got the gift of gab. All right. So that's the catching depth issue. Um, really thin outside of the major leagues, and they better hope that either Matt Weeters can come back or... That Francisco Pena can be that tandem catcher. But what else? What else does the depth situation look like on this team? Well, let's let's just do infield, outfield, and then uh, starting uh, or pitching as well. Okay. So infield, you've got Ryan Flaherty,
0: of course, as, as depth. But again, past Ryan Flaherty, you really have nobody. Like if, if Ryan Flaherty goes and gets hurt and somebody else gets hurt like, oh, I don't know, J.J. Hardy, you're back in the same situation where you were in 2015, where you had Everett Cabrera come out and play, and you had players like Steve Hollison, and you have uh, you had Steve Pierce play second base last year. It is going to be a hodgepodge in the infield if two players get hurt. So, yeah, people come back and point to Ryan Flaherty and say, oh, Ryan Flaherty is a utility player, and he'll back up everybody. But if you've got more than two players hurt, oh, man, you're going to be in tough shape. And I, to a certain aspect, I hate to say it, but I think that's kind of why you're also seeing Pedro Alvarez get some time in the field just to make sure that there is somebody that could play third base so that Machado could shift to shortstop and fill in if possible. I still think we're going to see the craziness, which is going to be Chris Davis at third base, Pedro Alvarez at first base, and Mark Trumbo on right field which will be the quintessential, oh, my God, we care nothing about defense anymore. That's, that's the Taco Bell defense. That's the Taco Bell defense.
1: I, I think you're right about Ryan Flaherty. He's he's the super sub. He's he's the guy. The thing about Ryan Flaherty is at this point, we know he is who we know he is, right? Yeah. And what I mean by that is you're going to get consistent, and I would even say plus Major League defense out of him at every infield position. Fair? I think that's fair, actually. At, and at I, least in and the short term. And
0: you know how I don't like to give out the plus aspect for defense? But in the case of Ryan Flaherty, Flaherty makes some really good plays in the field, like really good range plays that you're just like, he should ha- he
1: should be able to make that play, like, and he made that play, and he does it, you know, after coming off the bench for two weeks, right? Exactly. But the thing is, is that he's only exemplary in short spurts, and his offense is completely inconsistent, and, just like you, and, right? And <laughs> short spurts and offensive I'm <laughs> really, I'm really <laughs> in, impressive for moments at a time. Um, Ryan Flaherty may hit 20 home runs, according to uh, John Wilkes at Orioles Uncensored, but uh, he just can't put it together, and he's not offensively capable. He's not dependable. He, he he's hot and he's cold, but he's mostly cold. He's yes and he's no. He's in and he's out. How did I he's know he's up you were and he's down? I, I think you, you said, hey, if two people get hurt, it, it's tough to to say, you know, well, what if, if two people get hurt? Because I wonder how many teams are that deep. But the next guy up for the middle infield, at least, would be Paul Yannish. Oof, you're probably right. Oof. And, uh, you Oof. know, you brought up um, the fact that both Davis and Alvarez have third base experience. I, I view that as emergency.
0: <sighs> Alvarez, at and third anything, base, oh my anything gosh. Anything more than a
1: couple games and you're in trouble. Alvarez is so terrible at third base. But how does that compare to other teams' depth? Do we have any idea? Are other teams built to withstand the loss of two infielders? Absolutely,
0: because they have folks in the minor leagues. Can you name a minor league player right now that plays second base, third base, or shortstop that you would feel comfortable about bringing up right now? (laughs) Yeah, that's what I thought. So that's the problem right there is for as much as the Orioles want to come back and say, we've got a strong farm system because they're doing really well at Bowie and they're winning championships and Norfolk is going to playoffs, there's not a single player on that roster that you would say Yep, I'm comfortable bringing them up to the major league roster.
1: All right, I, I think I think you're probably right there. Now the outfield depth is um, well, it's present. We have depth. That's encouraging. the The problem is is that I think it may be a situation of quantity over quality uh, because you know the corner outfield uh, situation was horrible in 2015, and it was a lot of maybes and hopes and prayers and and all that kind of good stuff. The corner outfield uh, this year is projected to be Kim in left field and. I'm going to say Reimold in right as the starter in some sort of heavy rotation of a platoon. My guess is uh, Joey Rickard. But that's the thing. We don't really know if either of those options are going to work out. And that's the trouble. And, and you and I both talked about the, the good thing about bringing in a player like Dexter Fowler was at least you, you would know that you had one major league caliber outfielder. I'm confused, by the way, here. How is Nolan Reimold getting in the game? Um, he's gonna walk in his cast? I don't know.
0: So we signed this guy, Pedro Alvarez, right? Yes. And we have got this guy called Mark Trumbo, right? Yes. So where does
1: Nolan Reinwald end up? I think he's gonna be Ryan Field. Where's Mark Trumbo? He's gonna be DH. Where's Pedro Alvarez? He's gonna be DH. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> You don't you don't think that uh, Buck Showalter would keep one of those two guys on the bench, Alvarez or Trumbo, uh, for defense? Uh,
0: I think it's 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 possible, but I just don't see it based off of the amount of times that Mark Trumbo has been out in right field for spring training. I think Mark Trumbo is your right fielder for at least three hundred innings this year, um, and it's going to be terrible, and there's going to be lots of tears. Um, but I think Mark Trumbo is your player, and I understand what you're saying, which is Nolan Reimold is probably a, a better defensive player.
1: Um, but I would ask the question: How much better do you really think he is? Um, I, I think than Mark th- Trumbo. Yeah, I think he's a much better fielder than Mark Trumbo. Why? Because he's not Mark Trumbo, mostly.
0: No, the thing. About- Do you think it's like range? Is that like it, that's the one thing that I have is like range? Because I look, I look at I'm like on the base pass, and I'm like, he seems faster. He looks like he would have the range, but I'm not sure if I could give the same attribute to say the arm. And Trumbo actually has shown a pretty decent arm so far this this off season. I'm not offseason. season. This spring training,
1: I'll, I'll give you. I, I will give you um, arm because I, I don't know. The difference, but what I will say about about Nolan Reimold, and I'm sorry. We should sorry. have him out to the Burland Bash and see how it does. <laughs> well, he's he's got to be uh, he's got to be great. Um, I hate to do it to you because I don't have any stats to back it up, but it's the eye test. You know, I've seen Nolan Reimold play the outfield in both. Not that left often and- though. <laughs> <laughs> I have no, I've seen him play both left and right because he's been here since 2009 for parts of every season. That's and, fair. He, and he's played capably in in both left and right. And I'm sorry, I don't have a great way to quantify that. That's okay, but I know that he's a, he's an average. He's at least an average major league outfielder. So here's why
0: I, I'm, I'm concerned. And I'm going to pull out the fancy numbers, folks. And Derek Arnold is literally going to pull his hair out. But just in terms of UZR over 150, which I think is one of the best stats out there for our defensive metrics. I look at last year for Nolan Reimold. He played in 366 innings. He posted a .6 UZR 150, which is really, really good. It's good job, Nolan Reimold. You're basically not hurting your team. And not to mention... That's that's actually better than like a Nick Marcakis was last year in right field. So kudos to him. But in the past other seasons, 2014, negative 12.2. 2013, negative 13.5. 2012, negative 23. Now, to be fair, all those were shortened seasons, very short sample sizes. Who knows what could happen? But Nolan Rammel just doesn't stretch. point out to me saying, yep, really good outfielder, really consistent outfielder. He just strikes me as... Being able to get to certain balls that Mark Trumbo really can't get to,
1: yeah, and and I feel I mean, like that's
0: enough. But in right field for Camden Yards, is it really that big of a deal, or do you just have to turn around and basically make sure A doesn't go over your head and B played off the wall, play the carom?
1: Yeah, I, I feel like I have a weak argument for you because I don't have anything other than my you eyes. You just like that neck, don't you? <laughs> no, I hope he, I hope he doesn't have to track the ball. Um, but so my opinion is that it's Rymal. Your opinion is that it's Trumbo. I, I, I don't think you're crazy. I don't think. I don't think it's out of the question. That's just that's the way I see it breaking down. The question, of course, you're is, also making the assumption that he's going to stay healthy, right? Can he stay on the field for a whole year? And that is the you know the 1.3 million dollar question or whatever we're paying him. And, and coming back, Mark Trumbo is terrible in outfield.
0: Yes, I, I'm not trying to make that argument. I just don't think Nolan Reimold is a positive outfielder. I think he's a
1: below average to average outfielder. Whereas I think Mark Trumbo is a below average outfielder. <laughs> Everybody in camp seems impressed with Joey Rickard, and as the Rule 5 guy, I think he's going to make the club just just because of that. Um, You're going to love him. (laughs) He's been promising at the plate and and almost stellar in the field. Now, wishful thinking would lead Orioles fans to hope that this team has caught a starter in the making, but tempering that expectation, I I don't know about you, I would be content with a quality backup, a fourth outfielder acquired on the cheap, uh, that price associated with the Rule 5 draft. I think he's going to get a look at least as the first guy off the bench in the outfield, if not to get a couple starts to see what the Orioles have with him. Yeah.
0: Well, we'll, we'll, let's see what happens in April is the best way to describe it. I don't think this is a move that has to be made right now for the Orioles, but it might be a move that they have to be making in April or May. And we hope it's not a necessity, right? Right. Exactly. Pitching is another thing that we want to talk about from a depth aspect. And this is one that you know the Orioles do have some depth um if the Orioles are looking to put in another starter because someone gets injured you've got vance worley tyler wilson mike wright maybe but i haven't been impressed at all O'Drismer Despaigne again not that impressive and tj mcfarland who is still getting over his injury but vance worley and tyler wilson i think could easily be serviceable uh fist starters for this team if someone were to go down
1: i i think that the orioles and again I, I don't want to sound like this is orange-colored uh, glasses. I think from a spot starter standpoint, the Orioles are very strong with the guys they could throw in there for one or two starts. Strong? I, yeah. I think any one of those guys that you just named could put in a start or two. Yeah, which just tells you how bad the rotation is. <laughs> but if you have to depend on them for more starts, for 15 starts, then you're going to be in trouble. Sure. Could Vance Worley do it? Maybe. Could Could Wilson do it? maybe Maybe. the rest of them i doubt right but i I think for short bursts you you might be able to cobble it together all right the bullpen i mean i I think the bullpen is is a strength of the team and i think the organizational depth is deeper well you got all those guys that we just named and then you've got players like jason garcia
0: Chaz rowe if he actually still makes the team oliver drake chris lee chris jones chris davis oh wait yeah, that, I got to cross that one off. Uh, Cesar Cabral, um, these are all players that could potentially not be up here for a long cup of coffee, but be, be part of that Norfolk shuttle Shut constantly back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Um, I, I think, you know, in terms of having mediocre pitching and a lot of it, the Orioles have a ton of mediocre pitching that they can throw out there. Um, is that going to make a big dent? No, but you're... Basically eliminating a negative, and eliminating a negative is what the Orioles have been doing for the past four seasons and have allowing them to win for this long.
1: Yeah, and remember, they don't need these guys to be good for very long. You know, Chaz Rowe is not a great pitcher. He's just not. But he dominated for a very short period. And I think the one thing that the, the, the Dan Duquette and Buck Showalter regime has done is they've picked guys who have the talent to be very, very good for very short periods of time and and avoided overexposing them. Right, And if they can shuttle those guys up and down, I think that's value. I think that that is a plus, even if they're not guys that it can be a plus for a very long time. Okay. So your one of your questions was, how does the Orioles' depth compare to other
0: clubs? I'd say it's mediocre, and I think it's better than probably the 28th or 29th in the minors because this is just depth. This isn't just high prospects. The Orioles, too, have a lot of depth. It's just not very good depth is the best way to describe it. So you're going to be banned. It's a bunch of band-aids basically, but if you're hemorrhaging, they ain't going to solve you. Would you put them middle of the pack? Would you put them
1: bottom third? Where where would you put them?
0: Middle, middle of the pack. Um, the other question would be, how does this Orioles depth compare to 2012 and the 2014 playoff teams? I'm going to say less. And the reason I'm going to say that is I feel like the Orioles haven't gone out and signed a lot of minor league free agents this year. And by not finding signing those minor league free agents, um, I, I think that the depth is a little bit less than in previous years. I'd love for them to go out and sign Tim Lincecum for a minor league deal if Tim Lincecum is willing to take a minor league deal. That's the kind of depth move that I would love to see the Orioles make at this time.
1: Sure. I, I, I want to be careful about because I'm not saying you're wrong. But remember, this team made the playoffs. I'm never wrong. <laughs> this team made the playoffs in 2012 with the likes of Joe Saunders and Randy Wolf getting starts for the Orioles. You know, and again— Wolf especially didn't get a lot of starts. He didn't get a lot of time, but you know Steve Johnson made significant starts. Those aren't great guys. No, short short spurts of okay. Neither might is Odrismer Despagne or
0: Mike Wright or T.J. McFarland. Right, that's what I'm saying. I'm, yeah. But
1: I'm, I'm saying it might not be far off the pace. I don't
0: think it's too far off the pace, but I think that there is a little bit of a lack. But again, let's see what Duquette is willing to do during the season. Duquette made a lot of those moves in season to pick up fringe players. Duquette really didn't pick up fringe players so much during this offseason. At least it doesn't seem like it to me. We really are focused on that $250-plus that they spent. But the fringe players have been what have made or broken the Orioles. Take, for example, last year, they picked up a lot of fringe players and like players like Travis Snyder and nobody, Everett Carrera, none of them panned out. Those French players will make or break the Orioles, and I just don't see them in the periphery this year. All right. Well, with that, I think if we're going to go to the periphery, we're going to have to talk to somebody that was there in Sarasota that can give us a hands-on report. Jake, how do you pronounce this name again? Balaké. Where is Balaké at? No Balaké here today.
2: Yes, sir.
1: My name's Blake.
2: Are you out of your god mind? <laughs> Blake.
0: What? Do you want to go to war, Malaki? No.
2: Because
0: we could go to war.
2: No.
0: I'm for real. I'm for real. So you better check yourself.
1: Look, spring training is the worst. If you're sitting at home waiting for baseball season, it's awful. However, spring training is an amazing time. If you go down to experience the best that Sarasota has to offer and take in a little Orioles magic, we needed to get some of that perspective. And so we asked Ryan Balake, uh, I'm sorry, Ryan Blake <laughs> to join us to share his experiences from the last week. Now, you may know Ryan as a contributor to Utah Street Report and Baseball Essential or as one of the hosts of the Backwards K podcast. Way too much time on the sand. You may <laughs> even recognize Ryan as the creative force behind the at Orioles fans probs with a Z twitter account but let's face it you probably know ryan is that crazy mother (laughs) ate six purple crayons because well ravens 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 fandom ryan thanks so much for joining us on bird's eye view
2: thank you for having me despite the uh little jab in the shoulder for eating the crayons (laughs) that's not a jab i'm used to that that on twitter though dude
1: this is who you are you need to embrace it all right well that's 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 my persona now we've got to get to the
0: most important question which we asked every interview ryan what's your drink of the week
2: my drink of the week, uh, which I had last night for the very first time, is uh, a nice tall glass of Angry Orchard mixed in with a shot of Fireball. It's okay. the most delicious thing I've drank in a long time. Now you did this on purpose. I did it on purpose. It was a recommendation from my backward K co-host, Danny. Can I ask you a question? Yeah.
0: This sounds like a girly drink.
2: You know, it might be, but I, you know, I don't, I don't like to put labels on that because I think anything that tastes good is, you know, it's, it's good.
0: Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Was Danny trying to take advantage of you? i sure hope not but it's likely if he, it, like if he, it was like he
2: was we've got something to talk about on our next podcast well there you go that's
0: why they
1: call it the backward k oh, <laughs> yeah geez.
2: all
1: right so we did not not bring you here to, to talk about your backward k um or positions <laughs> at least not those positions what we are here to talk about is uh baseball uh but before we get there i, I want to ask you what were your impressions of sarasota itself
2: Sarasota itself is absolutely gorgeous. Um, one of my favorite parts, aside from Ed Smith Stadium, is, is having Siesta Key right there. It's an insanely beautiful beach. Um, it's the number one ranked beach in the world, and, and rightfully so, although I, I can't say I've been to a ton of different beaches. Um, but the, the whole area around Sarasota, I think, is wonderful. Um, the stadium itself, obviously, is a much better facility than the one we had in Fort Lauderdale. I did get a chance to go down to Fort Lauderdale. I would think four times um, back when we were there. My father and grandfather took me there, um, and it was convenient because my aunt and uncle had a condo in Fort Lauderdale, so uh, gave us a free place to stay. But um, huge upgrade at Ed Smith Stadium. Um, It's in a a great area. It's a lot closer uh, to a lot of different things. Fort Lauderdale is kind of tucked away at the bottom, Um, and Sarasota, you know, it's it's a forty-five minute drive from Tampa. Um, so there's, there's a lot to do around there. It's a, it's a wonderful area. And I highly recommend, um, if you have the, the means and the money, uh, to certainly check out some spring training in Sarasota.
1: Now, did you, uh, did you hit downtown, uh, Sarasota in the evenings?
2: Um, I didn't get a chance to do much of that. Um, Danny was actually supposed to come down with me and, uh, and he wasn't able to, he actually is trying to get into the police academy and, uh, and they called him, just a few days before our trip, and said we want you to take your physical on Wednesday, which happened to be right in the middle of the trip. Now he is so, not uh,
1: the sound effects guy, right? Danny is what? He's not the sound effects guy from Police Academy. No, not that I know.
0: Of. He he might not get that reference. I mean, it's that's a generational. That's that's, that's, pre- that's pretty dated, Jake. Sorry, <laughs> I,
2: I I can't say I got that one. Yeah, um, we'll we'll explain so,
1: when you're older. But the, the question about the downtown, though, is that uh, we're going to have to send you back on assignment because we need to know if there's as much to do downtown for a, an interesting young single man as there was for an old, boring, married man. Uh, because I think downtown Sarasota, uh, nightlife as far as restaurants and bars and stuff actually has quite a lot to offer as well.
2: Yeah, I got a recommendation from uh, from Derek at Utah Street Report. He suggested a place called Mr. Beery's. Uh, I guess he, he had been there before um and like i said i didn't get to go there i was actually staying down there um i was staying in tampa with a friend of mine at at university of south florida so uh after the o's games you know i had a a little bit of a drive to get back there and uh and i spent some more time enjoying the nightlife of of tampa than i did in sarasota honestly
0: so let's go back to ed smith stadium really quickly and you were you know, yeah. praising it and giving it herald. What really makes it that great of a like a, a complex or a stadium to a certain regard? I mean, you look at it and you're like, it kind of looks like a minor league baseball stadium. What distinguishes it itself as like a, you know, a really nice
2: ballpark down there? Well, as a spring training stadium, I guess. I mean, I'm a little biased, obviously, as an Orioles fan, and we're so used to you know Camden Yards being the the most beautiful ballpark in baseball. Um, but Ed Smith Stadium itself, um, I just think it's it's in a it's in a wonderful area of town. First of all. Um, the the streets around it, it it seems like you you can wander a little bit without really worrying um, so the the area itself is nice um, it's got a real nice backdrop clear skies and I, I had i've had great weather every time i've been there so um, that's one thing that really um, impacts your
0: your, your uh, enjoyment level is the best way yeah, yeah
2: yeah one you know you that's kind of the way it was for me when i was visiting colleges as a high school senior you know you, you go to a college and you have a beautiful day you're more inclined to like the school you go there, and it's raining. It's 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 not the most exciting day.
0: Well, that's because so, the prettier girls are out during the nice weather, but that's just another matter. But I want to ask. That's, a, that's true. That's I, true. I want to ask a question um, but, about Ed Smith Stadium, and it's something that a lot of people don't get to see. I think people have been to Edsmith Stadium, but you got to actually go up into the press box for a game. Um, now, me and Jake have been in the press box at Camden Yards, but never at Ed Smith Stadium. What's the atmosphere at in the press box at Ed Smith Stadium during spring training? Like during the game, it's. Definitely laid back, but how much more laid back is it during a spring training game?
2: It was it was pretty laid back. Um, they actually had me in the auxiliary press box, which is uh, outside. Um, so you
0: weren't good the, enough for the regular press box, is what they were saying. Uh,
2: apparently not. They were they were too full for me. Um, but this this week um, they they got me in on Saturday, and and the twins were in town, and the twins have uh, was name? Byung-ho Park, uh, oh, the name Byung Ho Park, the new Korean guy, and we obviously have Hyun-soo Kim. So there was a lot of Korean media there, uh, taking up some space. Um, so, but, but the environment itself, it was laid back. Uh, Dan Duquette actually was sitting right next to me at one point with his kid and, or his grandkid or somebody, I'm not sure, nephew, whatever. Um, and Chris Lee was on the hill and, and Lee hit 97 with a fastball and, and Duquette turned to me and went 97 and turned back to the game. And, uh,
1: was it 97 or was it
2: 97? (laughs) (laughs) Something like that. Um, but yeah, it was, uh. A cool little area. I actually, I was hoping to meet Tim Kirchin at some point. I was, I was sitting up there before the game, typing on my laptop, pretending to be important, and uh, I saw Kirchin down on the field talking to Buck Showalter. And if I had field access, I certainly would have gone down and introduced myself. Um, I was hoping to see him at some point, but I don't think he ever even came up to the press box once the game started. Um, So unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to talk to him. Um, But you going to ask him about Giovanni Gallardo? That was the plan. <laughs> that, that that really never gets old. No, I, I could I could watch Scott Van Pelt messing with him about that all day. <laughs> my da- my icebreaker was actually going to be you met my father at a restaurant in Gaithersburg because my dad met him. I think it was a place called. Uh, not your average Joe, or something like that. <laughs> and uh, and my dad met him down there when he was at lunch, and and introduced himself, and said he had a son who was interested in you know baseball media and that kind of thing. So that was going to be my icebreaker. And then I'm sure I would have mixed in a Giovanni Gallardo in there somewhere. You're gonna have to work on that accent a little bit Manny more. Manny Machado. Yeah, yeah Manny Machado. Know, the problem is people people who don't live in Baltimore or the surrounding area, they think we have an accent. I've never I. I the only time I ever really notice a Baltimore accent is when it's really exaggerated by someone like Van Pelt. I don't, I don't see the Baltimore accent at all. If it, I'm being completely honest,
0: it's pretty bad. I'll, I'll, I'll admit. Um, it, yeah. Going outside and talking to other people, uh, and then you listen to yourself like talking to other people on like teleconferences, just like holy cow! They're like you sound completely different. But
1: it's it's also yeah. really funny because I mean Scott and I are old men, so we have kids, and my kids are eight and five, and yeah. so as they were as they were learning, you know. To to speak and and their vocabulary was really, really flourishing. My little girl, when she was like four or five, had this really funny Baltimore ew thing going yeah. on, which was hysterical because you know we're kids from the Burbs, so you know we have that Baltimore thing, t- uh, you know, tuned down, so to speak. But even at a de- uh, developmental stage, she still went through her stoop sitting ews. Well, that's because was, your wife kept on drinking Clipper City while she was pregnant. <laughs> but <laughs> if, if you have Mars Hana, if you leave and then come back to it, you especially notice it. Mm-hmm. So coming back to spring training, being, oh right, that's are
0: yeah. here for. Yeah, being in the press box, being in the stadium, watching the team. You know, I think all of us that are here in Baltimore, looking at it on Twitter and seeing the grainy photos come over from like Rockabaco and Encina. I guess my thing is. What's one thing you would learned about the team or a specific player that you wouldn't have experienced at home or just following along on Twitter?
2: That's a good question. Um, I guess, especially spring training games, not being televised, um, you get a, a closer look at things when you're actually there. Um, Kim is a lot more agile defensively than, than he looks like he should be for someone his size. Um, he has a real good first step back. Um, Decent first step coming forward. It looks like, you know, if a ball is hit kind of right at him, maybe sinking in front of him, he kind of freezes there for a second. Although I, I can't say that's not natural. Um, but he was he was a lot more agile in the field than I thought he would be. Um, Machado is, is seeing the ball really well. He's making great contact. Um, so that's very encouraging to see. Christian Walker's having himself a heck of a spring. Um, and for me, I, I spent most of my time, um, when I wasn't in the press box at Ed Smith, um, I I don't usually go to my seat even during the game. I like to hang around above the bullpen and watch the pitchers mm-hmm. warm up. Um, so I got a first hand view of that. Um, one thing that really stuck out to me, I actually periscoped this from my Orioles fan probs account, and uh, Hunter Harvey was warming up. I think this was Monday. And, um, and he was missing his spots left and right. He was overthrowing the catcher, hitting the screen behind him, skipping him in the dirt, and he looked visibly frustrated. And then he went into the game, and uh, I think he gave up one run over an inning and two-thirds or something like that. Um, and then he pitched again, it was yesterday or the day before, and, uh, and I think he gave up five runs. And uh, so, so Harvey, to me, he says he's, um, he, he said he feels great, he, it's nice for him to throw without pain, but I think um, mechanically he still is, uh, is far from where he wants to be. Um, so that's, that's another thing that stood out to me. Um, Gonzalez hasn't looked sharp, obviously, he's given up, what is it, like 22 hits in just a little over five innings. Something insane like that, um but you know when you when you get a, a first hand look down there it's it's you you can see more than than just following on Twitter with the the at bat app or whatever it may be um, but the the two guys who really stuck out to me were were machado and and kim defensively um Joey Rickard also looks really good defensively to me he's got a, a good arm um good range good first step uh so that was that was encouraging to see um i I hope we have a spot for him on the roster um and I, I think with Reimold's poor spring, that might be even more possible because um, reimold has been been struggling a little bit. Um, but like I said, um, defensively, it was it was really Kim who I who I watched closely, and um, and for his size, he he seemed to know what he was doing out there. So I I don't think he'll be um, as big of a defensive liability as he he physically looks like he should be.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I when mean, I watched it on TV and watched some of the other games because it certainly hasn't been on Masson that often. Um, right. i've been really encouraged by looking at um kim and just his ability to track the ball and you know i, I don't think rickard's going to get out there a lot but i could easily see a defensive replacement pop up every so often for like if trumbo is actually going to go out in right field and play i could easily see a defensive replacement come out during the sixth or seventh inning to basically replace trumbo um to try to get rickard in the game more often but um i i think that kim's defense has been really overlooked by a lot of folks i think we all have focused on oh the O for 22 um but i don't think anyone has really been focusing about how he's just tracking the balls if he's able to track the ball that well um in spring training that's very encouraging to me at least um i'm looking forward to seeing him very much so in uh in, in 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 april
2: yeah and he's he's making solid contact you know a lot of people have pointed out on twitter it's not like his 0 for 20, whatever it was, was due to a bunch of strikeouts. You know, he was putting the ball in play. He struck out once or twice, um, and he was, he was working himself deep into counts. He just, you know, wasn't getting lucky when he put the ball in play. So um, I, I don't think his, his 0 for is too much of a cause for concern.
1: Now, speaking of concerns, are you worried at all about the Orioles' poor results as far as the win and loss column is concerned in the Grapefruit League schedule?
2: The win and loss column, I'm not concerned about. Um, individual performances, I think, are, are much more important in spring training because, you know, in the regular season, you've got the 25 guys on the team, and you're working as a unit, and uh, and team chemistry is 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 pretty important when it comes to winning games. Um, so, in terms of of our our two and ten record. Um, I'm not too concerned about that. I'm more concerned about guys like Miguel Gonzalez and he Jimenez not being in tip top shape. Um, obviously it's spring training, so they still have time to work on that. Um, Jimenez has been bitten by poor first innings, at least from what I've seen. Um, his last start, uh, in the middle of last week, I think it was, um, he ran into some trouble in the first inning, gave up a run, but then he pitched another, um, two innings and change, I think. and, And he really settled down and gave up one hit the rest of the way. Um, so, the like you said earlier in the show, the first inning is, is something that makes Orioles fans cry. But, um, you know, it, like I said, in terms of the win-loss column, I'm not too concerned about that. Sure, it'd be nice to see some, some wins on the board. But um, I think when we have our set 25 guys um, and we've got our starting pitchers working deeper into games, I think um, we'll, we'll start to see some of those losses turn into wins.
0: Everyone in spring training is filled with some bit of optimism to us certain regard. um what is the most excited uh, thing you you have going into this two thousand and sixteen season? Is it a player is it a topic what is what is the most interesting and exciting thing for you going into the season?
2: That's a good question um I think for me it would have to be uh I'll give you two things number one, I'd like to see if Jonathan scope can um become a little more patient at the plate and if that'll translate into Uh, higher on base percentage, more home runs. Um, I think defensively, Scope is is very solid. He turns a beautiful double play. That's one of my favorite things about him. Um, But I'd I'd like to see that bat come around a little more. He has insane raw power, Um, so I'd I'd like to see that translate. And my my second storyline that I'm really interested in following is to see if Machado can duplicate or even outdo himself from last year. Um, Obviously, he really broke out last year, hit 35 home runs, played all 162 games, um, and... Stellar defense, as usual, although you know, a few errors mixed in, but a lot of those errors are on balls that most players wouldn 't normally get to um, so i, I 'd like to see Machado is like I said, is hitting the ball really well this spring, um, even his outs have been loud, um, a few pop ups but that 's not uncharacteristic for machado um, but i i 'm excited to see if he can duplicate what he did last year because a lot of people. Um, there there's a big question on what his ceiling might be if he 's going to be a true power hitter if he 's going to be a you know a three fifteen three twenty type hitter um, so i'm i'm excited to see him um try to outdo himself
1: all right um one last question for me and, and that's this you are a veteran of the birdland bash the uh, bird's eye view softball game that we hold every season you, you are a weathered veteran of that that fine Uh, practice. That's the softball game that you and I embarrass ourselves with, right? That's the one. Okay. (laughs) Um,
2: but does one year really count as being a veteran? Yes.
1: Grizzled. Grizzled.
0: Grizzled. Yes. It works works for me. You showed up. One one year is grizzled for the Orioles. I mean, if you can stay on this team for an entire year, you basically are in the system. You basically (laughs) passed the Rule Five draft. Okay, so congratulations.
1: It's like ten and five status. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You showed up last year wearing a junior Lake jersey which was a, a Cubs Junior Lake jersey, which is impressive because the Orioles had, had just acquired him. So my question is to you. Wait, if, wait, wait. He hadn't been acquired yet.
2: Yeah, yeah, he was.
1: Was he acquired yet?
2: He had, he had been acquired in, within the last couple of weeks. Okay, I didn't think
0: he had been acquired yet.
1: I'm sorry. I, G- give my, my memory some sort of credit. <laughs> I'm
0: sorry. I Like
1: I said, I do not keep a historical record of when Junior Lake was traded for. No, you don't know what you're missing. Yeah. Uh, the question is this. If the Birdland Bash were today, which sadly it is not, what jersey would you be wearing?
2: Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I just recently actually got, that I ordered at FanFest, I just picked it up a couple weeks ago, uh, a personalized Orioles authentic jersey with my name and number 11 on the back. Uh, that might have to be my wardrobe of choice. And uh, if not, I think my backup would have to be one of my Evan Meek jerseys.
0: <laughs>
2: that's Evan Meek. Evan Meek game-worn jersey.
0: Because the Meek you, will inherit the earth.
2: Do you guys know the story behind that? No. Danny and I read a game uh, a couple years when, when Meek was on the team. And uh, we were hanging outside trying to get a couple autographs after the game. And uh, most of the players had cleared out of the parking lot. But Evan Meek had, had pulled back in. I guess he forgot something in the clubhouse. And uh, he had to so clean he, out he gets locker. out of his car and he, he solo wheels over to the, the parking attendant there. And uh, the solo wheel, O'Day, I guess, made that famous with the Orioles. There was that prank that MLB Fancave pulled on him with the help of Buckshell Walter. Um, but so, so Meek rides a solo wheel over to the, the security guard and says, you know, I just need to go back in and get something. And, uh, and Danny goes, hey man, nice solo wheel. And Evan responds, thanks guys, want to try? So we said, absolutely. So Evan Meek comes around the, the stand, around the fence, and, uh, and he teaches us one by one how to ride the solo wheel thing. And he, he walked us around. We had arm around his shoulder, and he was keeping us balanced. And And he, he hung out with us for a good 10 or 15 minutes. And uh, so Danny and I, obviously, at that point, became huge Evan Meek fans. And uh, the following year at FanFest, um, the Orioles have a big uh, jersey sale. And uh, by the end of the day, the prices drop pretty substantially because they're trying to get rid of what they can. Well, I would think and that uh, an
1: Evan Meek jersey would be really
2: expensive to begin with. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh so i I ended up getting two Evan meek jerseys. They were twenty bucks a pop. can't beat that and, uh, yeah. not at all
1: what What number did Evan meek wear?
2: He wore forty seven
1: all right well, good there you stuff go. good to know yeah
2: he's in uh he's in Japan now. I'm kind of disappointed that we don't get to see him around here anymore.
0: I cannot wait for Ryan Blake's trip to uh Japan uh, th- <laughs> this, this year, so uh cannot wait for that all right, last question before we let sure. you go, we need to learn something important about you. And I want to warn you ahead of time, this is something upon which you will be judged not just by us, but by the fates themselves. All right. So, Ryan, Beatles or Rolling Stones? Beatles. You're a good man. You're Ryan. a good, you're, you're good, good man, Charlie Brown. Even though you may eat Thank crayons, you. you're a good man. <laughs> there wasn't a right answer there, but that was the right answer. That was the right answer. Beatles is
2: always the right answer. That's
0: right. You keep saying that. You're, you, you, you've you been raised well by Evan Meek. That's all I can tell you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Blake is a a treat uh, to the Orioles' uh, social media world. You should be following him everywhere. Uh, Ryan, where can we find you on social media?
2: Oh, man. Uh, you can find my personal account at blake uh i tweet random orioles crap at orioles fan probs with a z um that's pretty much it i mean I baseball
0: essential backwards k podcast definitely subscribe to listen to ryan and danny talk on a a weekly basis about all things random in baseball uh yeah, it's to not describe. just it, orioles it, over it's there. not we, just we, orioles we, it is everything so if you like baseball and you just like the craziness of baseball uh check out the backwards k podcast it's uh It makes me laugh uh, at work and people look at me strangely. But that's what people do when you listen to
2: podcasts.
0: (laughs) Well, Ryan, thanks so much for coming on the show. We appreciate it. And uh, let's go O's.
2: Sounds good to me. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it.
0: That's right, folks. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's where we go through and basically rant a little bit here and there and pick out mediocre things for us to pinpoint during spring training. So, Jake, I'm going to let you go ahead and take the lead this week and go from there.
1: All right, my good for this week is Kim finally getting a hit in spring training, getting that over off his back, and more importantly, putting this topic to bed so that we don't have to talk about it anymore You and I talked about not really being sure if Kim's talent was going to translate from the KBO to MLB, and the fact that the team really needed to have some backup plans in place. But beyond all that, I refuse to get down on the guy because he's having a rough spring. I'm going to be patient with him, and I really wish that more fans would have been. So I'm really glad that I don't have to talk about this over anymore. My good this week is Kim for getting the hit. Good for him.
0: My good for the week is going to go to Joey Batts and the Philly Fanatic. If you did not see this, Joey Bats and Philly Fanatic engaged in a game of sportsmanship to a certain regard, regarding Joey Bats pulling out a handstand and forcing the Philly Fanatic to try to do a handstand, and then the Philly Fanatic challenging him to a push-up contest with the Philly Fanatic winning.
1: I thought it was a disgrace to the game.
0: Uh, let's just say that Joey Bats in this one instance did not come off looking like a total jerk. He at least played along with mascots. And if you're gonna play along with mascots, you get points in my book. So Joey Bats and the Philly Fanatic. You're good this week. Keep keep up the good work.
1: By the way, Philly Fanatic, the original Orbit. Yes. All right, bad this week. I'm going to go to uh, Miguel Gonzalez's spring. Miguel Gonzalez has been, well, Bud Norris-esque this spring. He's got an ERA in the 20s, but, you know, in very short order here in March, he's pitched 5.2 innings, and he's given up 14 earned runs. And he's just ugly. And you, you never know how much stock to put in spring training, but starting to get nervous. Some other folks are starting to get nervous. Look, he was never that great to begin with. I think we all can agree that he pitched over his head in 2012, and he's been a plus uh, in his short major league career. But now he's what, 31, 32? He's on the slide that that pitchers, unless they're very good, uh, fall into. I'm worried about Miguel Gonzalez in this in this season. I hope I'm wrong, but at least for this week, he was bad. Yep. Uh,
0: My bad for the week is going to go to first innings for the Baltimore Orioles, who gave up 13 runs in the last seven games. The Orioles had a really difficult time putting up the goose egg in the uh, first inning with their starting pitchers. Not an encouraging sign across the board. So, Orioles, can we at least try to get the lead once and hold it? That'd be nice. That's my bad for the week.
1: All right, I'm going to go ahead to ugly. My ugly for this week uh, was I didn't see this live because I work for a living, and so I couldn't see the game on Masson. Uh, but I caught an interview with Chris Davis on Massonsports.com. They're kind enough to throw uh, video clips on their site for us. And I was watching an interview of Chris Davis after he left the game. Uh, it's up there on that patio or whatever that they do the interviews during the spring training games. He was talking uh, to Gary and probably Mike Bordick, and Davis conducted the entire interview with a huge wad of of dip in his mouth. And when I say huge, I mean it was enough to like to to interfere with his speech during the interview. I think it's a disgusting habit to begin with. I think it's terrible uh, to to be doing in an arena when you know that you're going to be on television because there are children watching your every move, but really get it out of your mouth when you're talking on TV. That's gross. So Chris Davis, you're my ugly this week. Jake, my ugly
0: is going to have to go to the Baltimore Orioles front office, who continues to break announcements right after Bird's Eye View podcast. What are you doing? Do you realize how difficult it is to do a podcast during this time of season when there is nothing else going on and we promptly end our podcast and you promptly say, oh, well that deal fell through or oh, well we just signed this player. How dare you try to coordinate with us and get things done on a Monday afternoon as opposed to a Monday evening or Tuesday and ruin podcasts in the process. Baltimore's front office, you, sir, you're ugly.
1: All right. This is why you go last, by the way. Because I make irrational rants like that? Your rants far exceed the quality of my own.
0: Well, if we're going to go ahead and rant one more time, I think we need to go ahead and rant with a little blow in the save. All right, so my blowing the save this week is going to go to a topic that didn't really bother me, but it's something that needs to be made aware of. And I think every one of our audience is going to be on board with this one. Goose Gossage made some pretty ridiculous comments this past week regarding backflips and giving the business to Jose Bautista and Bryce Harper, which generally I don't mind. But in this case, it was absolutely ridiculous. But he also came down extremely hard on us nerds. And that's where the line was crossed. His statement, such as, uh, baseball is becoming a freaking joke because of the front offices who rely on advanced analytics, uh, is it, it, just ridiculous. And, you know, he came back, backtracked on these comments. He said he lost his mind for a few minutes. But in reality, Goose Gossage uh, made a mistake. And I guess what I have to say is, I just wanted to say that I'm a nerd. And I'm here tonight to stand up for the right of other nerds. I mean, all our life we've been laughed at when we've been made to feel inferior. And tonight, tonight this b- he decides to trash our hobby. And why? Because we're smart? Because we look different? Well, we're not. And uh, I'm a nerd, and I'm pretty proud of it. That's all I have to say.
1: Really? Really? <laughs> you know if our police academy reference went over the head i'm guaranteed guarantee they're a plenty
0: have no <laughs> idea what you're doing <laughs> but that's that, that's what i do here so um
1: oh, Lord. Yep. look the Gossage thing put me in a weird spot because on one hand you know i do agree that there there needs to be a line drawn between enthusiasm and passion for the game and showing up the opponent and that's a tough spot to find but baseball is fun. Yeah, and even and Manny, baseball but, needs to be
0: fun. And even Manny Machado came out and said, if he was in the same situation, hit a, a home run right in front of all of Canyon Yards, he would have done the same thing. He would have bat flipped, and he would have gone absolutely crazy. So, folks, baseball is supposed to be fun. Go have some fun out there. And as an old man, let me say, grow with the game;
1: it won't hurt you. Ooh. With that, Baltimore and beyond, I have nothing more for you. I bid you a fond adieu, adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there.
0: And let's go O's.